As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Sully. Good afternoon, I'm Roger Hearing. So both the parties on their home turfs today, Roger, I suppose. Labour pledging to boost healthcare funding by £26 billion if it wins the election. The party says it's part of a plan to end what it calls a Tory NHS crisis. We heard from uh, the Shadow Health Secretary, Jonathan Ashworth, who says funding plans will be outlined soon. We're prepared to make different decisions on taxation. We're prepared to say to the wealthiest in society, you know, you should pay a little bit extra tax so people don't have to wait for months for cancer treatment. Meanwhile, the Conservative Party is focusing very much on Brexit. Boris Johnson makes his first big speech to the general election campaign later, arguing that only a Tory majority can end what he calls the groundhoggery of Brexit. Someone pointed out Groundhog Day was 1993, the film, so he may not be exactly addressing a youthful audience with that kind of reference. I think it has some longevity. There we are, you see. You weren't even born then, so what do you... I I say that, I've barely seen that film. Mm. Bill Murray, isn't it? It is. He was a great actor. But I suppose if you're stuck on Groundhog Day anyway, it doesn't really matter what year it is. Absolutely not. It just depends what people are wearing, doesn't it? As the fashions change. But let's bring in a man who is never underdressed, Ed Evans. Edward Evans, our Bloomberg Brexit editor, who's across all the stories today. It's a piecemeal day. There's so much going on. I was struck by this YouGov poll that is splashed across the Times and many other newspapers. It's the first one that was conducted since the Brexit party pulled out of those Tory-held seats. It's got a 14-point lead for the Conservatives. Uh, But what's unique about this is that the respondents were only given a choice of the candidates that are likely to be standing in their constituencies. And so what we saw was uh, those Brexit parties votes mostly went to the Tories. So how do we pass this, given that you've got that lead for the Tories, but you are seeing that these Brexit party votes go to the Tories and not so much to Labour? Well, as usual with opinion polls, treat them with caution. Uh, they can always be wrong. But you, they, what you can see is the problem here that the Brexit party was creating for Johnson. Uh, if, he had, if he wanted to get a majority, he had to, ne- to, to, to neutralise the threat from the Brexit party. Uh, and what you're seeing in the, the polls is very interestingly that shift, that shift then in Johnson's favour. What's also very interesting, if you look at socioeconomic groups uh, and how they're being, how they're polling in that, you know, Conservatives well ahead in C2DE voters at that end of the scale. So you can see there that something something is shifting. Uh, of course, the big unanswered question with the Brexit Party's decision at the moment, uh, or was when I was walking into the studio, <laughs> is what happens with other, with, uh, with their fight in Tory target seats. Are they going to t- t- fight contest the seats that the Tories? Which at the moment to, they are. Which at the moment they are. Um, but is that again? 
again is a problem and you can see for the Tories and you can see the you know, Farage is under a lot of pressure from Aaron Banks and others to get his tanks off Johnson's lawn there. Now one of the really interesting aspects of this election is is the number of independents, quite well known independents who are standing and uh, one has now joined their ranks, David Gork of course famously of the Gorkwood squad as it was known within the Conservative Party when he was in the Conservative Party but he's standing in his constituency as an independent I think on my last calculation it was something about six or seven of this kind of people standing people formerly other parties now going for it as independents I mean do they stand any chance at all it's very difficult under the first party po- uh, first party post system. <laughs> well, first party post first, is the problem, isn't is, it? Really? Is it I, you, I could say it better. I mean, this is the problem. <laughs> you know, the, the two the, under the system, minority candidates really struggle. I think historically, MPs look to have a personal vote of around fifteen hundred votes. Uh, anecdotally, people say that's about the, the, the roughly what you'd expect from a long-standing MP to have as a personal vote. So it makes it difficult to win. But it's a very interesting test of Johnsonism because you can. See see that his calculation in all this is to go take the party to the right and to advocate a very firm form of Brexit. And he can do that because he thinks Tory moderates have nowhere else to go. They look at Corbyn and they're not going to vote for Corbyn. They're not, they could go to the Liberal Democrats possibly, but again, that's a, that's a hurdle to jump. But what Gork and others are doing is giving basically voters in those constituencies, those are traditional Tory constituencies, an alternative. And it'll be very interesting to see what kind of protest vote, uh, or even more than that, that they, they, they may or may not pick up. All right, Edward Evans, our Brexit editor, thank you very much for joining us. Let's move it on. Look at this group representing Britain's manufacturers, urging the leaders of main political parties to move on from, quote, blame-driven politics. I'm talking about the industry organisation Make UK. It's calling for politicians to demonstrate to the electorate they have real vision and ambition for the UK economy and, of course, the policies to back it up in a post-Brexit world. So for more, we're joined by Ben Fletcher. He's the director of policy at Make UK. Ben, run us through this. We've heard a little bit. I was just talking about uh, this uh, move to uh, less blame-driven politics. What policies exactly do you want to see coming out of these manifestos? I think what we really want to see is, is something that moves us on from three years of, of, of debate, fighting, bickering, um, and a huge amount of effort that's being driven around party political lines, rather than necessarily thinking about this in the context of the of the great British economy. Um, I think manufacturing is a sort of um, underrepresented and, and not properly understood success story of, of the last 20 years. Uh, within the UK, many people, if, if we go out and survey them, uh, often think that we're a declining manufacturing nation, that we're you know, somewhere around the sort of 50th biggest manufacturing nation in the world. And we're actually the ninth biggest manufacturer. We're a massive global um, player. Um, and that in an economy that everyone largely thinks is a service-driven economy, manufacturing provides almost half of all of this country's exports. So in the context of Brexit, uh, it's an enormously important player and is incredibly um, powerfully influenced. But, 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 ben, what I was just going to break in and say there, the point being, when you mention Brexit there, the things that will disappear, at least potentially, are the things surely that make your, uh, your businesses work. Frictionless trade, regulatory alignment, access to labour. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. And, and that, that's very much what I was, uh, you know, uh, aiming to say. We, we are extremely worried about the kind of conversations that seem to be happening 
around points of political principle uh, and not actually focused on why we've had such a renaissance. The four big Brexit outcomes that we want uh, are a maintenance of frictionless trade uh, to maintain a high degree of regulatory alignment. Access to labour is vital for manufacturing uh, and it's not about unskilled labour or indeed even highly skilled labour. The debates become very polarised. The reality in our sector is that almost a third of all vacancies remain unfilled for over three months because the education system in the UK isn't providing people with technical skills. We don't have a skilled workforce. So even in areas where there is a degree of unemployment, we often find it very hard to recruit because there aren't people in the UK labour market with skills. And part of our wider ambition for government is that they take some radical steps to address that. But in the short term, we need a, we need a solution to Brexit that continues to allow us to access skilled labour easily and quickly so that we can keep making things. And we need a sensible transition period so that business can adapt to what will be an enormous change. And as you say, Let me just pick you up on that, the transition period. Um, ben, that, that, as we know, is uh, the, tra the transition period ending next year. We can only extend it once, but Boris Johnson has said he won't do that. Are you then concerned about uh, the fact that a trade deal may not be reached in that time? I think we're doubly concerned because it's not just that, um, I mean, I was going to say tantalisingly long time frame, uh, slightly ironically, but the, the challenge isn't just that, that it's a 12-month uh, position. It's that actually that potential for extension, and, and we have heard what the government has said about not extending, um, but if we got into a very difficult place and we needed to extend, um, under the current deal, that transition extension would have to be put towards uh, Parliament in the summer, um, before the summer recess. So really, uh, the, the kind of go-no-go no go point for extension, um, A, uh, we, hear, we hear signs that, that suggest it won't be needed, um, and we very much hope that it won't be needed, but if, we, if it is, we're actually going to reach that decision under the current plans uh, in the summer. Um, and that seems to me to be a very difficult and very early point to make that uh, decision. Ben, let me put to you a point that a number of, of people who support Brexit would say, well, hang on, you know, your, your members want to go out there into the world to sell what it is they make. The Brexit position will mean that they have that opportunity in a way they haven't had before. Free trade, you, the rest of the world will be your area to get into. Surely it's worth momentary difficulty to get to that kind of thing, which will boost your members. Um, I mean, I think there are pros and cons for that argument, but e even if just for the sake of argument we accept that, I think what our members would say is that um, moving from a world where, as I said earlier, half of all of our exports are manufactured goods, of those exports, half go to the EU and 17% go to countries where we trade through EU FTAs, free trade agreements. If we were to lose those or find it much harder to trade with those, it's not a momentary change. It's a fundamental realignment of how we do things, working to different standards, different sets of regulations. And the other big thing that, that is often forgotten in the, in the, uh, the detail that's lost in this uh, complex argument is that what we manufacture here uh, in, in a significant proportion is components, pieces of a, a bigger product. And actually, we are growing because we're part of a pan-European supply chain where we're providing a significant part. We're taking a part from France. We're adding to it. We're moving it on, and it gets added to again in Germany. That's a very different kind of market to the market we would find ourselves in if we were looking to trade with people much further away because that distance makes it much harder to, to right. deal in those kind of industries. So it's a, it would be a fundamental realignment. Um, there are also arguments about how big the prize is on offer. But even if you accepted it was a big prize, it's a really different kind of market to sell into.
So let's have a look through the papers, which are quite interesting today. Some of the pieces on the inside pages. Tactical pacts won't turn this into a Brexit election. That's a piece by Raphael Baer in The Guardian, who says trying to organise people into leave and remain compartments is a non-starter. The voters will decide what this is all about. The ambition for pacts comes from the belief this election is a referendum in disguise and voters must be channelled into leave and remain. That isn't how most people will see things because it isn't how general elections work. There's latent wisdom in the inattentive majority the ones whose antennae are just starting to crackle with reluctant political engagement. I'm looking at a Bloomberg piece uh, about one of the founders of Hargreaves Lansdowne, the investment platform. This is Stephen Lansdowne of the two. And he's being asked about uh, the state of UK politics. And he talks about MPs, says they're all just looking after themselves all the time, all their party, not doing their job. He says, I just wonder, really, if there's some way the country could just call an annual general meeting and sack them all. A very business-like approach to all of this. Nice to see some nuanced opinions, isn't it? This is, of course, the man who backed leave, solved half a bit half a million dollars worth of his stock since the Brexit vote in 2016 didn't pay a penny in tax given he lives in Guernsey so he's a certain type of figure okay now the eye there's a piece by Katie Balls referring in fact to what goes on on Tuesday which is of course this uh, head-to-head debate between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson Katie says if Jeremy Corbyn can use the TV debates to hook in remaining voters the Tory path to majority looks very steep and narrow there are some Johnson allies she said who question the wisdom of a two-person debate if Corbyn can convince remain voters as he is their best and only hope of remaining in the EU, the Tory path to majority could once more look very difficult. Corbyn's last best chance to turn things around, she says, is on Tuesday. Yeah, Joe Swinson not happy about that situation of the one-on-one. We get the first debate next Tuesday, I believe. I'm sure we'll all be tuning in for what proves to be a spectacular of TV viewing. Uh, Put that in your diaries. And then I've got this story, which I love. Stop Brexit, Steve. If you've ever done anything outside Westminster, you will know this man. Um, My ears have been blasted by him. Lungs of steel. He's going to be a Lib Dem candidate now. He's running in the Connon Valley in Wales, where he's he's from uh, Port Talbot. Um, Joe Swinson chiming in on this, saying, I'm sure he'll bring energy to the campaign in Wales. She's been faced with questions of maybe that he's a joke candidate. He's, He's not really seriously going for this but he's certainly put in a lot of time and effort standing outside parliament doing what some would call campaigning well some would say it won't be hard for him to get uh, at least people to listen to him one way or another right let's move on now to alex chalk who's a conservative candidate standing in this election uh now alex thanks very much for joining us very welcome first of all let's pick up on perhaps what has been the biggest news for your party this week which is nigel farage and the brexit party will not challenge in a number of seats held by the conservatives up to this point including yours i'm guessing uh but what he hasn't done is committed to uh, not stand against conservatives in some of your target seats against the labor party and that really alex is what's needed isn't it for your party uh, absolutely i mean I, I hope that's what he'll do and the interesting thing has been that whereas in the past you've had this sense that nigel farage has really controlled the brexit party very very strongly there's a growing sense that actually his his lieutenants and his foot soldiers are not happy with the direction that he's been setting and although there's only a few hours now until the close of nominations, which, of course, would be the last moment for people to make the decision whether to stand or not, I sense there is a growing drumbeat of people who say that this is actually a chance of sabotaging Brexit if he does continue to stand in some of those crucial northern seats and he puts his, his life's work at risk. So this is a problem for you then, Alex, because Joe Swinson, leader of the Liberal Democrats, is saying that it makes it easier for them to appeal to one nation conservative voters. Well, I, I, 
I don't think that's right, actually, because, I mean, I, I'm somebody I voted for Remain and campaigned for Remain. But it's wrong to think, as I think Joe assumes, that anybody who voted to Remain automatically thinks that they want to block the result. There's a huge constituency of people who says, well, of course, that was the result. And it's a mandate for some sort of compromise. In other words, not live, leaving with no deal, but leaving with a deal. And a, a lot of people, plenty in Parliament, never thought that Boris Johnson would get that deal. Now that we have one, there are a lot of people I'm seeing on the doors in Cheltenham who are saying, well, that's, that's the right way to go. Yeah, yeah, but Alex, I mean, even with that kind of a deal, the NIESR has said that it's going to shave, Johnson's deal is going to shave up to 4% from the size of the economy by the end of the 2020s. I mean, this is, you know, it, it may not be perhaps as bad as another kind of deal or no deal, but it's very bad generally, isn't it? Well, look, I think these long-term projections are terribly, terribly difficult, and I think a lot of people weigh them rightly with caution. Because if you have hugely long projections to the end of the 2020s, 4% as against what will be the cumulative total then. People don't talk about that cumulative total. Equally, when you talk about wrapped-up spending figures over many years, there comes a point when they lose their meaning, really. And the reality is... I think that we have a deal which would allow us to leave in good order and also to pivot towards getting a decent trading relationship. If that trading relationship is good and also if it is supplemented by decent trading relationships and trade deals elsewhere in the world. Alex, though, can that trade deal really be struck? Well We've not got a lot of time. December 2020. Can, can Boris Johnson do it? Look, I think he can. I'm, I think he can. What's because, the precedent? Well, look, there, there is, we are in unique circumstances. There is none. Because, well, we're in unique circumstances where you have a situation where you start in exactly the same position. The reality is that the, the mood music, the optics, the atmospherics between Boris Johnson and his European counterparts was far, far better than anyone dared assume. And I think the stage is well set that once we've dealt with the money, which, of course, is always the most toxic thing in any relationship, dealt with the money, dealt with citizens' rights, the stage is set for people to act in their mutual self-interest. But the UK is on the back foot here, isn't it? The UK is on the back foot because the clock is ticking. The EU knows that. There's no incentive to give the UK a good trade deal here. On the contrary, there's every incentive for them to to give us a good trade deal because, of course, uh, a good trade deal makes it uh, makes there's less friction for their exporters as well. I mean, I think, as I say, once the money is out of the way, I think that we are, are we're in a good place. They know fine well that it's it's in their interest as it is in ours, and I think that people will be able to be adult and move on. And there is an overwhelming appetite, I sense, well, but to, to, to get onto that new footing, and Al- it's in Alex, factors of interest and services. You said once the money is done, you talked about once the the, the issue about people moving movement free movement is done but right. those are two of the most crucial things that will not go away and were part of the reason why so many people were so opposed to us leaving the european union in the first place and indeed many of those who were in favor of it so i mean that is such a big if it almost undermines everything else you're saying well no 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 because the withdrawal agreement the key elements of the withdrawal agreement which of course are part of the treaty rather than the future relationship which is up for negotiation that deals with the issue of citizens rights in other words, the rights of EU nationals in the UK, 3 million or so, and British nationals overseas, plus the issue of the 39 billion. Those are two very, very important parts that are, are dealt with. And you know, the, the concern that people like me had is that if we were to crash out with no deal, then you could imagine precisely what would happen on day one, which is that the Europeans would say, yes, of course you can have a deal, but the first thing you need is to pay the 39 billion, and then there would be this almighty row about how much we should, we should spend. So look, that is all, that is all done, and... 
I, I just think the stage is set. Look, what is the alternative? That's the other thing. That well, the alternative is no deal. People are saying to me, and that's ve- looking very likely because you're, you're very optimistic about this. But the, there is, of course, a very real risk that we end up crashing out and we're on WTO rules. And that does not look good for our manufacturers. We were just speaking to Make UK, who were not sounding very positive about this. Well, I, of course we want a deal. And uh, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the European Union does as well. As I say, I think the stage is set. But look, what people are saying to me on the doors as well is they're saying, well, what, what, what is the alternative? Because if you go for, you talked about Joe Swinton, if you go for that model of simply cancelling the whole thing, I mean, that would chuck a hand grenade. In what about a second referendum? Politics. Jeremy but Corbyn's offering. What about a second referendum? But you've got to think, how would that be delivered? Answer is, if the Conservatives don't get a majority, so the Queen then sends for Jeremy Corbyn, he likely does a deal with the Scots Nats on the promise of a referendum in Scotland. So you have this, first of all, paralysed parliament, but this unstable coalition, which for people like me have real concerns about what Jeremy Corbyn would do to our country in terms of the finances and lose control of it and all that sort of thing, have further reference. And of course, parliament would be totally paralysed as it agonised over what the question should but, be. But Alex, you spoke... And what the franchise should be. And you... then, sorry, last point, last point I'll make, is then, of course, you can have six weeks of horrific division where brothers and sisters are pitted against each other and colleagues and so on and then the, at the end of it all the losing side wouldn't accept the result that's the problem but the problem surely is actually people like you even holding on to your seat where you are in cheltenham there's a very very strong challenge from the liberal democrats and there'll be people who are saying hang on we've lost our, our our one nation tories we've got a prospect at least maybe of staying in maybe of having a referendum they'd be very tempted many people who voted conservative all their lives to go and vote for someone where there's a good chance they'll get a lib dem in who might then be able to push that agenda i think the problem is I'm a one-nation conservative. I consider myself a moderate conservative. I thought this was a mandate for a deal. That's why I voted for Theresa May's deal, a customs union, and so on. But the, what is being offered by the Liberal Democrats, I would venture to suggest, is not a moderate compromise option. They're saying cancel the whole thing. And what I found very frustrating is that, as Ken Clark said, as Norman Lamb, a Lib Dem himself said, is it wasn't a moderate position in the last parliament to vote against, what, not to vote in favour of the Norway option, the EFTA option, the customs union option, the Theresa May option. So, you know, they're not in the business of doing any kind of compromise at all. That is an extreme position to take. And the interesting thing on the doors is I found Liberal Democrat, former Liberal Democrat voters saying the policy that the Lib Dems are now proposing of revocation is too far, it's anti-democratic, and Alex, I'm going to vote for you because actually getting out on a deal is the compromise moderate thing to do. But you're in a party that wouldn't even have Ken Clark as a member. What does that say about you? Well, look, I, I really regret um, the, the Ken situation. Ken is a, is, a, is a mate of mine, and I agree with him on all sorts of things. But look, it, it's totally wrong to suggest that there isn't a, a moderate mainstream, because ultimately, if you look at the policy, 5248, you, you, you've got to make yourself a decision if you were a Remainer. Is that a mandate to leave the European Union when 17.4 million people said? Yes, it is. But is it a mandate to do so on a deal? Correct. I think it is. But you're in an extreme Wait, party now. Think. Many people see it as an Wait. extreme party. No, well, look, I, I can tell you the people that I know, the people that I know and like, they're not taking an extreme position. And I think if we were being asked to leave with no deal, well, then that, would be, that might be slightly different. But that is simply not what's on offer here. And I do fear, and this is certainly the point that's coming back again and again, is that you have to deal not necessarily with the world as you might like it to be, but the world as it is. And we have an option here to leave with a deal as compared to revocation, which is the kind of uh, democratic annihilation argument, or this coalition with Jeremy Corbyn at the head of it, causing untold damage to our economy, to our security, plus two referendums, right. would leave this country paralysed. And I just don't think that's the way for our country to go. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.